cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of FirestormFan.com and AquamanShrine.net. I am one of your regular co-hosts, Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine, and the Irredeemable Shag is off this week, so I thought it would be fun to talk about one of my favorite topics, one of my favorite things growing up, Migos, the uh, the toy line from the 70s that I grew up on and so many people of my age grew up on. Uh, they, of course, were the uh, people behind the world's greatest superheroes line of DC and Marvel toys, but they did a lot more, as we'll get into. But before all that, I want to thank Instock Trades for sponsoring this episode of the Fire and Water podcast. Instock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Uh, two of the deals I'm going to highlight this time around are based on some of my favorite Migos. First up is Green Arrow. I had that uh, Migo doll, and it's probably uh, Migo's finest job in terms of... Uh, translating a hero from the comics page into plastic. Uh, this book is the Jack Kirby Omnibus Volume 1, starring Green Arrow. Uh, this features a bunch of Jack Kirby's Green Arrow stories from Adventure Comics and World's Finest, but also features some of his other work at DC at the time, uh, featuring some short stories from books like House of Mystery, House of Secrets, Tales of the Unexpected, My Greatest Adventure, All-Star Western, other stories from Adventure and World's Finest, and Real Fact Comics. This is a full-color book, hardcover. Page count is 304. It features an introduction by Mark Evanier. Normal in-stock trades price is $49.99. Their current price is $28.99. That is 42% off. That is a ton of fun and a very, very handsome book. The other book I wanted to recommend was based on one of my other favorite Mego dolls, the Star Trek Gorn doll, uh, which is sitting here hanging off my computer as I record this. Uh, this is a book from IDW called Star Trek Alien Spotlight, which features different stories based on different alien races that the crews of the Enterprise have encountered, like the Gorn, aforementioned, the Vulcans, the Andorians, Orions, the Borg, and the Romulans. Writers include John Byrne, Andrew Stephen Harris, James Patrick Polster, and David Tipton. Artists include John Byrne again, 
Elena Casagrande, David Messina, Sean Murphy, and Leonard O'Grady. Um, instruct uh, the normal price is nineteen ninety nine. Instruct Parade's price is thirteen ninety nine. That is thirty percent off. Both books are a ton of fun. Give them a try. Uh, for these and all your other trade paperback needs, visit InStuckTrades.com, and we thank them for their support. As I said, this episode is all about Migo, so I thought the perfect person to join me on this uh, sort of special episode is Migo Authority and all-around good guy Brian Heiler. He is the creative force behind PladStallions.com, the Pod Stallions podcast, which is a really fun show, as well as the MigoMuseum.com, which is the single internet source for all things Migo. It's just an amazing site. It was amazing when I discovered it back in the 90s. It's even more amazing now. Anything you need to know about Migos, that's where you go. So uh, anyway, Brian was kind enough to join me to talk about Migos. So enjoy this, and we'll see you on the other side. The part of the reason uh, we I wanted to do this episode on Migos was because a lot of people that listen to the show uh, are younger than I am by either five years or more, and they just don't know what Migos are. They're just, you know, like culturally it just – it was pretty much big and gone before they came around. And so um, I want to – well, let me have you do it, Brian. You'll do it better than me. Okay. What, are Migos – am I right in saying that Migos are, are the last – big toy line that everybody had is that is that a fair estimate um i i don't know if that's quite the estimate i think you know first of all there's a couple of things in that that maybe uh, migos generally mean eight inch action figures right but these guys did way more than that i mean they did 12 inch action figures they did three inch action figures they they championed you know every format but everybody truly remembers the eight inch action figure that they made, that they pioneered by accident, I think, really. Um, what it is, is it's not just so much the line that everybody had, but it's there's a couple of things. One, they had so many different licenses at one point that right. they, had, they had their own universe. You know? Um, and the other thing about it is, I, and I, I, I don't think we'll ever see a time again where a toy company has so many artistic houses for comic characters. You know, they had the two big guns, Marvel and DC. They had Edgar Rice Burroughs. They had uh, Filmation. They had in Isis. They had, um, you know, the, the uh, Conan. All in the same scale, all in the, you know, in the same little universe, same packaging, everything like that. And I think that's the cultural impact um, that, that they had. And, and also... You know, if, they were the first really to create physical representations of characters before, you know, in action figure form like that. Before that, in the 60s, they had Captain Action, but Captain Action was always under this kind of conceit that he's a guy putting on a Superman mask. Right. This was you, you buy a Superman suit or you buy a Superman doll, boom, it's Superman. And that was, you know, that hadn't been done before. And so, you know, that that's slightly revolutionary. And isn't it also the uh, in terms of the timing is that that Mego was there just before licensors knew that there was this kind of money to be made. I mean, once Lucas came in with Star Wars and, you know, uh, I mean, like I mean, I've read in you know different Mego books about how, you know, Mego got the licenses for like Planet of the Apes and for Star Trek for for you know, not literally pennies, but pretty close. Yeah, well, what what happened was the superheroes were actually kind of considered a bit of a risk because of Captain Action's 
uh, failure to succeed. I mean, he burned brightly, but not for a long time. And, you know, the guys at, at, at Migo, they saw there was a program on at four o'clock in the afternoon every day that was called World's Greatest Superheroes or something like that, that played, you know, uh, the Lone Ranger cartoon and the uh, the super you know Superman filmation cartoon, Batman, Aquaman, and they said there's something there. You know the '66 Batman was in rampant syndication at the time, so they 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 went after the license, and because they had already developed this doll body and this kind of interchangeable system, uh, it was a relatively low risk, and it took off like a shot. And you see, industry people would have said, no, that's a risk. So then they started taking you know, more risks. They, uh, Planet of the Apes, they, they understood there was something there. Star Trek actually, uh, was a bet. You know, Neil Cublin would come home, see his kid watching Star Trek and said, there's something there. <laughs> he fought Marty Abrams, who's the president of Amigo on it, but Marty Abrams eventually said, okay, fine, but it's your ass if it doesn't happen. <laughs> and, and, and Neil Cublin got a Corvette out of the deal. Out of, the, oh, out, of the, out of the bonus he got wow. for developing this line, you know, because wow. it was a phenomenon. I mean, I had all the Star Trek dolls as a kid. And uh, so, you know, they and, you know, the other thing that was interesting about it is in the late 60s, you know, with the flops like Dr. Doolittle, the toy industry started to shy away from licensing, especially movies. Amazing when you think about that. (laughs) And, you know, if you look at the Planet of the Apes merchandising, it didn't really come out in any sort of format until uh, the the last movie came out. And then uh, a company called Adar, which was run by former Aurora employees, licensed some Planet of the Apes kits. And they couldn't keep them in stock. You know, and that then, then 20th Century Fox started to realize, hey, we have a gold mine here. So everyone says Star Wars, but, you know, I, th- I think Planet of the Apes was actually the, the real thing that taught Lucas a thing or two about merchandising. Right, right. I mean, he obviously knew something was mm-hmm. going to win there. So, yeah. yeah. What, what are the first, uh, do you even remember the first Migos you ever had? I mean, do you, or do you just always have them? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm born in 70, uh, late 1970, so they just were always there. Right. And uh, but the first the first four amigos uh, are famously Superman, Batman, Robin, and Aquaman. Yay! Yeah, and and that's definitely because of that after school show that played the filmation series. Because I don't even I'm not even sure Super Friends was on television at the time or was about to go on. It was television. just about yeah. Yeah. So. Um, Aquaman got included, and, and this is the interesting thing: is that Aquaman, in that the first series of figures were in these solid boxes that were um, revised and removed from the marketplace within a year, because you know kids saw these really beautiful boxes where they um, a fellow by the name of Mike Jamaican had redrawn DC stock art. So you know he's doing Carmen Infantino. For Batman and Robin, and I think he's doing this kind of Earth sets. Um, uh, Kurt Swan for Superman, and you'll be interested to know that the Aquaman is actually a redrawing of the Flash. That oh my god! Yeah. Now it makes sense because mm-hmm. I always wondered why is Aquaman in that pose? Why is he running? Why yeah. is he running? Because probably oh. whatever they gave him for Aquaman, he's <laughs> swimming, and it didn't fit on the rectangular box, so. 
what kids were doing was they were ripping into the package to see what the doll looked like. Okay. So Mego famously created the window the box. The window box, right. Yeah. But what's interesting is that a lot of people say Robin is the rarest of that series because he's got the removable mask. But if you look at the original case count, there was only two Aquamans per display box. Aww. <laughs> yeah. And actually, he's one of he's absolutely, you know, he's got a striking package. He's one of my favorite characters. Um, but yeah, he's probably the rarest. It's just that that Robin and his damn mask are so desirable that you know he'll never be the most expensive. Right now, I mean, is it Aquaman because not Wonder Woman because a Aquaman was on the filmation show and b Wonder Woman was a, a female doll and that just was more even more of a risk. They hadn't developed a girl body. Oh well, <laughs> really? They what they were basing all of those first four characters on was um, the Action Jackson body, which was their GI Joe. Uh, equivalent, you know, it was kind of a it was kind of a mix of uh, GI Joe and Big Jim, and uh, you know AJ sold very well, but then the reorders didn't come, and that's when somebody came to them and said, you know, you should go after the superheroes. Uh, it, you know, Stan Weston, the, actually the guy who also created Captain Action, you know, he was repping licenses, and he said, you know, you just have to pop this head off and make a new head and put new clothes on it, <laughs> and that you know that was the Mego formula for for the, the the next 10 years. Wow. Wow. Now, I mean, in terms of the, the, I mean, Aqu- I've read, I've read in books, uh, in, in different, pl- first I've read on the Migu Museum. Well, hey, you know what? We should even mention the Migu Museum. What is your official title for the Migu Museum? Are you uh, co-founder, creator? What is it? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm basically curator, editor in chief. It was, it was started by Scott Adams. Right. Uh, he handed the baton to me at some point in the late, 90s early 2000s and i boy was that a crash course in moderation <laughs> and html and um and then you know he came back so we we kind of we, we kind of consider ourselves co-owners of it by this point but I, you know i, I go by editor-in-chief there you go okay because anybody yeah. here who's listening who wants to know more about migos there was only one site to go to that is the Migo museum we'll put the link in the show notes it is the greatest resource for for migos and it's one of the great pop culture resource sites, period, in terms of its completeness. And I will tell you, when I first discovered the Mugu Museum was in 1997, wow. and I was working at Kinko's on the overnights, and we had not much to do. And, you know, the internet was still pretty new, and I discovered this site. And I was like, oh, my God, this thing has every piece of information I could ever want. So I actually printed out every page of the Mugu Museum, you're not the only person who's told me on that. On the Kinko's because... printers and bound oh. it as a giant book. Oh, neat. So I had a giant, like, 700-page full-color Mugu Museum book that I lobbled or cog- that I carried around with me at home because I just prob- loved it We should it so probably much. take that and scan it because I think Scott has lost some things to time. <laughs> and he was, you know, like, you know, a drive crashed or something. So he'd probably love to look at that. It was uh, – I oh, man, I just love the site so much from uh, – just from the beginning, it was just so amazing. Yeah, I can remember watching it kind of scroll down back then. It was, yeah, it was on Slipnet or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. One of the things I learned from the site is, you know, and, and and I've read in other articles is that, like, you know, contrary to what probably the average person would think, just seeing it as like that, Mego, of course, didn't base their characters on the comics; they base it on cartoons or whatever and that's why there's no flashing green lantern migos 
because they weren't in the Super Friends. Um, I, you know, I, I've heard that theory. That was a very popular theory by um, a fellow by the name of John Bonavita, who was a very early pioneer in Mego collecting, and he did have some insight. When I talked to Neil Cublin, um, who was the head of Mego's you know, research and development department, I could never quite get that answer out of him. <laughs> uh, you know, things kind of, I think what happened, if I if I can be completely honest, because I think at one time he said, "Oh yeah, we made the Flash," and then we started talking, and and, and it was very obvious that he was talking about the Human Torch, <laughs> or he was talking. You know, so it was like, okay, he doesn't, you know, because these things, the, the, these characters, they aren't quite as, you know, they were never in their um, their wheelhouse, you know. Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, when when I asked him why he made Tarzan. Because Tarzan seemed like an odd choice. I love that character, but and he said, "Oh, I just love Tarzan." <laughs> you know, so it was like, okay, so you just, yeah, okay, you know, I, I get it. Um, they, I think, they did rely on some suggestion from DC Comics, and and I, I defer to um, the amazing world of DC Comics, which I know you're a fan of. Oh yeah. And there's an, there's a, an interview with um, Saul Harrison. Who coincidentally, his son Marty was the art director over at Mego. Oh wow! So there's a little bit of collusion there, um, and he mentioned uh, creating the Joker mobile and you know t- uh, the Wayne Foundation for Mego. You know, suggesting things to Mego. So I think I think there was a little you know back and forth there. The the Flash and Green Lantern will drive fans nuts till the end of time until <laughs> we all don't care about Mego anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I certainly wanted one, but, uh, you know, it wasn't in the stars. You would have thought the Flash would have been cost-effective to do. I knew that was a big part of it, was the, the dolls had to be somewhat cost-effective. And you would think the Flash was just basically a doll with a, you know, a, one, a onesie on, and yeah. you're done. Well, most of them would be relatively easy to do. Uh, they did seem to follow a pattern of characters that had some sort of... Um, some sort of television exposure. So, you know, it almost works. But then, you know, then they made the Falcon. And you're right. kind of like, well, you know, I knew who the Falcon was as a kid. But, you know, it, <laughs> I don't understand exactly why they chose that character other than to be a little more diverse. Right. Well, that, that leads to something else I wanted to ask. Because it seems like that when they did the Marvel dolls, they threw that out the window. Because hardly any of those characters had a lot of TV exposure. I mean, Conan the Barbarian? Well, you know, if you look at it, actually, most of them did because the Fantastic Four had the Hanna-Barbera series that was in syndication. Oh, that's true, yeah. The Marvel superheroes show was Cap, Iron Man, and Thor, and Submariner, who they, I guess, dismissed. But, you know, those were those were heavy hitter characters that were on a lot of licensed products as well. You know, and, and you have to understand that licensing was handled apparently by a secretary at Marvel at the time. Wow. Which is why you get things, you know... Um, it, the the rack toys by Laramie that is like Spider Man's handgun, yeah. you know. Oh yeah, that's exactly like the one he uses. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's just it's it's one of those things that maybe they just suggested using these kind of core characters. You know, I mean, they, they, if you look at the, I think there's a Mead Trapper Keeper around the same time that has um, the Mad Bomb cover from Captain America. Okay. 
and it's you know it's Cap and Falcon. So maybe maybe they just sent that over to Migo too and said you know here's here's the top characters. Conan Conan is a bit odd. I'm happy they made him because he's a great. Oh, figure. the figure's great. I mean, it comes yeah. with all those accessories, and he's got that face. I mean, he has yeah. that Conan face. And you know, you can really see Migo's evolution from the first four heroes to. I found that point in time they were really starting to kind of like these figures look great you know and, and um, when people repro Migos it, it's funny where they go they always a lot of people like to dwell on the early 70s where I think you know I think they just got better and better as they went along so uh, you know I would prefer if, to see my Migo superheroes look more like they came out of 1975 or 76 than <laughs> 73 I know that sounds weird but you know, they 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 somehow got they they learned as they went along. Yeah, I you mean know. the uh, the Migo Green Arrow is it's like, yeah uh, that gorgeous. a lot of people cite that as the best Migo superhero ever. I mean, it looks just like him. The head sculpt has got the beard, he's got the hat, the quiver, the bow. I mean, it's it's just a gorgeous figure. You, you know, know it's mean? actually one of the um, the knights. With like a beard stuck on it and a mask, eh? <laughs> Good for them. Hey, they can yeah. find a way to shave a couple of pennies off of it. Recycling. Yeah. Uh, speaking of of pennies, um, okay. Aquaman, as far as again as I've read, it was never a big seller. As you mentioned, he was sort of short packed. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. you know, I should point out that they included him in a ton of lines. He was a, a bend and flex figure. Right. He was a comic action hero right he was a, a pocket hero so it wasn't like they ignored the character they they kept using him right whenever they did a team thing and then eventually migo just evolved into batman superman spider-man hulk you know, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> now they did do aquaman versus the great white shark and yeah. this is for any aquaman collector this is I would guess the ultimate toy to have. Uh, I, th- I think it actually so that that also crosses over an Amigo collector. Yes, uh, because I'll tell you right now, I have the shark. I got it for two hundred dollars on, on my honeymoon, and I remember getting the money order and going, "I can't believe I'm doing this." You know? <laughs> and now it's you didn't like, have any things to do on your honeymoon. Bro. Yeah, well, yeah, I know, and and, and just the, the ridiculous. I'm spending $200 on this loose shark. <laughs> and, you know, now I'm thinking, what, what was the problem here? But but I would kill to have the box. And right, right, right. I, I actually missed a boxed one in New Jersey for $200 when I was in college. And I, I swear to God, I turned around in the toy show and I'm going to go get that thing. And uh, you remember Lee's action figure news? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he's a he's a nice guy. He's a friend of mine. He, I turn around and Lenny Lee is holding the thing, going, "Look what I just got for two hundred dollars." Just wanted to cry, you know. <laughs> now, for anyone who anyone who doesn't know what this is, this was a. Uh, it's not a playset exactly. I mean, it, it was Aquaman and a plastic shark in a box together. I mean, it wasn't yeah, a, it wasn't a playset like it was a board that you sat them on, but it was basically just to cash in on jaws, right? Is that basically I, I think it's actually to cash in on jaws 2. Jaws 2. Because yeah. jaws 1 came out and nobody thought anything of it. And then it was a phenomenon and the license for for all jaws toys or for most jaws toys because Ideal made a mint with that game. 
but the 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 master licensor seemed to be Imperial Toys, who made rack toys, and they sold rubber sharks all day long. <laughs> so when Jaws two came out, everybody was kind of like at the ready. Now Mego didn't have the license for it, but they, you know, it's it's a bit like in the late nineties, all of a sudden GI Joe. Or the mid '90s GI Joe sets came with dinosaurs <laughs> because of Jurassic Park. You know, it's just, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, there, there's actually it's really cool. I remember seeing it in Toys R Us. There was this, you know, it's like this dying real American hero set before they canned the line, and it it's got dinosaurs. Wow. You know, they're just trying to milk anything they can out of this. You know. Now the. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. The great white shark goes, I mean, how, if you ever see one now, I mean, do you ever see one in, in like complete? How much is it? Is it several thousand dollars at this point, right? Yeah, I, um, I remember the, I got a call from the people behind Toy Hunter and they wanted to talk to me about evaluating one on the show. Um, I don't know what happened to that, but I was game, um. The, that thing is probably worth anywhere from ten to fifteen thousand. Oh my lord! <laughs> yeah, no. It, again, I just picture Lenny Lee holding the one that I passed up. You know? <laughs> uh, it is, you know, it, it's a funny thing because it's a weird toy. It was almost shoved on clearance the minute it came out. Oh. And you know, people will always regale me with signs of two toys they saw. You know, in end caps for half price, and that is the Aquaman versus the Great White Shark, and then that Greatest American Hero set with Bill and, and oh, uh, the prototypes. Yeah, well, no, not the prototypes. Oh, but oh, oh, the three and the three and three quarter inch figures that can't, you know, the little Volkswagen bug with the two figures. The, the people always say, "Oh, there was tons of those in KB." I, those were actually released. I didn't yeah. know that. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And, you know, I often think of that when I stare at the one I paid, like, you know, $600 for at San Diego Comic-Con one year. You know? I mean, one of the one of the things that is uh, fascinating to me about when I do all this reading up on Mego is that, you know, like you just mentioned, talking to Neil um, – what's his last name? I'm blanking. Goblin. Goblin. Yeah. It's like all these guys are still around for the most part. I mean, they're well, all – Neil, Neil's passed away. Oh, has he? But, oh, I'm sorry. But oh, Mego wow. was a – a company that hired very young people. In fact, uh, one gentleman I talked to, Tori Macaro, who's a, a wonderful person, he was a teenager. Wow. So, you know, and, and a lot of the things he had in his collection, he was, they were gifts to his wife. Like he, he was taking prototypes home and going, you know, he was to his girlfriend and going, here, I got you this. And, and one of them was the, uh, the Ernest Borgnine head for the black hole. <laughs> He owns that, and you know. Um, Gee, thanks, honey. Yeah, he wouldn't sell that either because I, I did end up buying a couple of his prototypes because he's got kids in college, and that was the one he's like, "No, no, Ernie stays with us." <laughs> but um, in speaking to Vinny Barrera, who was um, uh, a, a smart young man at Mego back in the seventies, and he took all these beautiful pictures that, that that are shared on the museum of the inner workings of the company, he. He seemed to have this weird fascination with the man from Atlantis at the time. He's a bit of a science fiction fan. And if this is one of the things that's interesting about the Aquaman versus the Great White Shark set is um, if you look 
at the 1978 Mego catalog, and I can send you a scan of this if you want it to follow up for the the show. Yeah, we would post it on the, the uh, on the Tumblr. Yeah, I'm sure I would the, love to show that around. The Aquaman in the catalog has webbed fingers, like distinct webbed fingers, right. like Mark, Mark Harris. Now, Mego. From looking at Vinny Beira's notes, Miko was trying to get the man from Atlantis, but it famously went to Kenner. And uh, being the man from Atlantis fan I am, I actually have the Kenner sketches for what they were going to do, and and I've I've kind of compiled that on my other website, Plaid Stallions. Um, the, the, I don't know what the plan was with these web fingers, but there's a collector in New York by the name of Roberto who actually owns that figure, and I've held it. It's absolutely legitimate. They have sculpted these strange man from Atlantis hands for, McDon- for Aquaman. Wow. And uh, we don't know why. I've you know, I Vinny doesn't remember doing it. You know, sadly Neil's passed on, but. Um, it looked like they were, and of course, none of the box sets. I had a friend who used to actually own three or four of them, and I made him take the gloves off of all the Aquaman. <laughs> and he said, "No, none of them have webbed fingers. What is what is going on?" You know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're they are. Um, it's it's one of those weird little Aquaman mysteries. Batman and Robin, the dynamic duo. Superman, the Man of Steel. Aquaman, the famous undersea crime fighter. Tarzan of the Apes. Shazam, now featured on network television. Captain America, fighting injustice the world over. Spider-Man, the weird wall climber. The super foes, the arch enemies of the superheroes. The Super Gals, Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Batgirl, and Catwoman. The Green Arrow, crime fighter from the forest. Iron Man, power personified. The Falcon, that great black superhero. The Green Goblin, Spider-Man's strange enemy. The Lizard, half man, half beast. And that fantastic green giant superhero, the Hulk. And for 1976, the Fantastic Four, the torch, faster than the speed of light. The Thing, Ben Grimm, man of granite. Mr. Fantastic and the Invisible Girl, both have the powers of invisibility. Fantastic Four, fighting for truth and honor. Conan the Barbarian, with his sword of justice. Four, using his Viking power against evil. Imagine a 15-minute shopping spree in your child's favorite toy store. That's right, up to $1,000 of Mego toys absolutely free. Just look for this Mego 8-inch superheroes display. Fill out this sweepstake coupon or a 3x5 card and mail to this address. That's not all. Buy his favorite 8-inch superhero and get this poster free. But act now. Offer ends June 30th. Look for this superhero display at your local toy store. 
And you're talking about um, – you mentioned earlier about Migo taking risks and taking bets or whatever. Now, they really – I'm kind of jumping around a little bit. But like, no problem. They – you know, like, again, I, I'm coming to this with some knowledge, but obviously you're the one who's going to school me on some of the stuff. Like, again, the thing I read is, like, it wasn't so much that um, – that when Star Wars took off, that that buried Migo. It wasn't that. It was that Migo then wasted, lost a lot of money trying every other property after that. Actually, that isn't even true oh, okay. in itself right. either. I've spoken to about 10 different people who worked there and former VPs. And really what it was, was the company, you know, like you can't lose, just because they didn't have Star Wars, it can't put you out of business. Right. It doesn't help that you don't have the biggest hit toy in the marketplace, but you know they were they were still shipping tens of millions of superheroes and 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 micronauts and what what they did was they invested heavily in the the electronics portion of it at a time when the interest rates were sky high. Um, you know, the, the, they actually had the license for Nintendo games. And because of their connection to Takara and the Micronauts, they were probably going to be the ones who got Transformers as well if they had just held in there a little bit. Wow. But what happened was, um, you know, the president of Amigo, Marty Abrams, is a nice gentleman. He got indicted on on basically fraud charges for something that, from what I have been told by a number of people in the toy industry in and out of Amigo, that... You know, he just basically got picked out of an, every single person did it. Okay. Uh, once that hit, everybody panicked. And the balloon, the air kind of came out of the balloon. And um, one of the per- people that worked at Migo told me it was like out of the 1940s. You know, that came across the television screen. And then everybody ran to the phone and started calling, you know, to get the heck out of Migo. Oh, boy. Wow. And um, Migo, you know, they, they unfortunately replaced Abrams, who was very good at, you know, running a company like that. And they brought in kind of a bean counter uh, who didn't have the flair for the company. And, and you can really see, like, the 82 catalog. It just sucks. <laughs> um, you know, like, you know, the, 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 uh, the lines like Eagle Force were actually – they were actually, you know, one of Abrams' last thing. And, you know, at, at Toy Fair for Eagle Force, he he had Darren McGavern show up as Captain Eagle. You know, <laughs> he was doing really, you know, he just he just had a flair for show business and the theatrics. And, and apparently, and I've never been able to find it, but Migo had, did make a film with Adam West and, one, and Linda Carter together. Oh, my. Yeah, and um, oh, wow. Neil Cublin directed it. Neil Cublin said that Linda Carter was a pain in his ass. <laughs> um, but, you know, that is lost to time. I would love to find it. Oh, that's got to be somewhere. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, well, you know, I'd, I'd pay 10 bucks to see it. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was just a Toy Fair reel, so it's somewhere. Wow. But, um, huh. you know, once, once they took... Abrams out of the equation and, and put in someone else, a lot of the confidence in the company kind of fell apart. And I, I remember asking the, the poor fellow who had taken Neil Cublin's job, Bill Barron, and, you know, I was asking about Greatest American Hero, and he goes, you know, man, nobody was buying from us anymore. Huh. And he was, you know, so really what killed Migo was a number of things, but it, it wasn't Star Wars. 
Right. And it, it wasn't because they they got the black hole. The black hole ended up costing them nothing. Um, you know, it would have been nice. They also didn't pay for the Star Trek the motion picture license. It was a famous fight where Paramount wanted to separate the license, but they ended up kind of playing a little game of chicken with Paramount that's kind of funny, and uh, nothing happened. And they, so, they, you know, they, they lost the money that they put into making these products for Black Hole and, and Star Trek, and but they didn't, it, it couldn't cripple them. Hmm. And, and the other thing is, too, Buck Rogers actually sold quite well for Mego. Hmm. It was, you know, and then they had a hit in Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard was a big hit, and they only paid five thousand dollars for the license. <laughs> you know, wow. so um, they did. You know, they had action figure success after Star Wars. It, it, that's not what what felled them. What felled them was, you know, investing in, in and and to be quite clear, if you read any early '80s toy magazines. Electronic games killed a lot of companies like Milton Bradley and, you know, th- these these big names. The only reason that those companies got bought up by other companies is they had something like a Monopoly or uh, right, Tonka right, right. or, you know, um, Mego had licenses and licenses. Once you go out of business or you go broke, people just scoop up the license. Right. So there's no reason. And, and in the late 70s, Marty Abrams tried to buy Tonka at least twice because he knew he needed some, some you know, a foundation to the company, like mm. like the Tonka truck, hmm. you know. So th- there's a lot, you know, I, I, it's, it's almost a failing in my personality, but I despise when I just read they went under because they didn't get Star Wars. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, I had read that for a long time, and then later on it was like, well... No, it's because they grabbed some other licenses, and then you find out, well, that's not even really true. I'm like, I remember that, like, they bought the, the license to Dallas, and you know, like, you're thinking, like, why would you buy the license to it? Like, who, what kid wants Dallas merchandise? Well, they they did. They made a card game, right? And they made a Target thing that said "Stick it to Jr." <laughs> and you know, we we forget how that was on the lips and minds, right? Of, who shot Jr.? Yeah, yeah that was, that was thing, huge. Yeah. And that's just smart to merchandise. Now, they, they, they tried to merchandise, and they famously, you know, there's this ad with these Dallas action figures that right. nobody nobody would want. I'd like to point out that there is a JR action figure available for purchase now uh, in the Mego style, which <laughs> I, I still don't get. Wow. Um, but, yeah, it's, you know, they did some, they took some risks. I, I think the JR... Um, card game and target thing probably sold okay for a short time. Who knows? And it probably, I bet you the Dallas license cost them very little. It's a bit like the Waltons. Yeah, Everyone that's another said, one. Like the Wally, what, what kid Waltons wants Waltons action figures? Well, you know, there was, I talked to Neil Cublin about that. He said something to the point of we were given the license, it was on TV every week, it was a hit. We thought it was a good way of getting into the girls' toy aisle. Mm, mm. You know, like not just being in the boys' aisle, but maybe getting something in the girls' aisle, which they always tried to do every year, you know, getting share dolls. They were always going after the Barbie market. Right, right, right. And because you really want to diversify. You don't want to be a hit in just one aisle. And, um, you know, he, he just said he said something to me like, we took our shots, you mm. know, and it's 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 good business practice, you know. Now, all right. Now, speaking of this perfect segue, speaking of shots, where the heck did 
the Teen Titans line come from? Because that feels like a complete, like, wh- huh? I mean, I mean, they're great dolls. They are. I mean, to me, they are the Speedy and the Aqualad and uh, uh, Kid Flash. Uh, not so much Wonder Girl. Uh, are I love Wonder Girl. I, 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 her dead-eyed stare is creepy to me. But I mean, <laughs> the, 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 but I mean, in terms of the costumes, they look just like. The comic versions. I mean, they're really a beautiful set of dolls, and that that feels like out of left field. It does, and I've often thought it may be like an appeasement to the licensor, because they're really the last thing they did for DC, and then they started just cutting the eight inch line and moving into other things, you right. know. So the, the the pocket heroes came out, and then the diecast heroes, and then the magna heroes, things like that. So. It's, it's, um, I don't know. I, I've often thought it's just basically like, here's some new product for this year. Apparently they were a massive bomb. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, if you look at the history, it's another thing that was on closeouts. Always been fascinated with them as a kid. I remember seeing them in Heroes World ads. They didn't come anywhere near Canada when I was a kid. So oh. I, uh, I knew a kid down the street who had Wonder Girl and, you know, they had traveled to Florida and picked it up. And I remember, you know, I was allowed to go to her house and, she, you know, her, with her mom's supervision, I could look at it for like a minute. And, you know, it was like, oh, my God, you know, what else exists in this world that I don't know about, you know, which may be why we're sitting here talking. But <laughs> Exactly. Uh, yeah, no, they're, they're a weird little oddity. I'm glad they exist, but... You know, there's such care in those. And I really wish Mego had have released 10 more superheroes in that year just to see how they look. Because, you know, they have beautiful innovations like rubber gloves and, and rubber boots. And, and just they're, they're nicely crafted. Oh, yeah. I still have my Aqualad Mego dolls. I found a toy store down in a, uh, I'm in southern Jersey and there's a town called Ocean City. And you can guess it's right there on the ocean and there was a great little hole in the wall toy store that sold vintage stuff and the first thing i bought out of there was amigo aqualad was that, that the toy rarium that's the toy oh my you know of toy rarium i've heard of the legend yes oh man that was a great i mean it was a very tiny store but crammed with not an extra inch it was not covered with a toy yeah, and, I used to go uh, down to the expos that would be like in uh, Hackensack and, and oh, okay. that area, and I used to sit there and go, "How far is it to Ocean City?" Yeah, you know, and I'd be like, "Oh crap, I can't." You know, you yeah. drive, to, I couldn't do it. Yeah, but I, I got my Mego Hall of Justice there. He had it in the box, and I, I bought it in payment plan. Uh, and I've sold a lot of my stuff over the years, but I still kept that. I don't think I will ever get rid of my Meagle Hole of Justice because I just love it so much. It's such a great little playset. I've got the, yeah, I've got that. My my personal favorite Mego playset of all time is the uh, comic action heroes Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> Featuring the Avengers. Yeah, which is actually the, the <laughs> Super Friends Alex Toth Hall of Justice. Right. I right. guess they didn't want to. Yeah, it's got Scarlet Witch. <laughs> Quicksilver, right? And Hawkeye? Quicksilver and Hawkeye. Even as a kid, that made no sense to me. You know? <laughs> well, that's something else, too, that's fascinating about, and, and this will tie into something else I wanted to ask you as we sort of head into the final stretch a little, is like, is there are still so many things about Mego where you're like, why did they do this? 
why did they, and like part of it is like the Star Trek alien dolls about how weird some of them look. You know, I mean, they look like they were made by people who never saw Star Trek. Well, um, uh, you know, I have an answer to that okay. too because Neil Kublin, I said, you know, why does the Mugato look like this, and why does the show? just like a clown. Yeah, yeah, and and he he said, you know, have you ever watched those shows, Brian? And I said, yeah, and he goes, they're pretty silly, and <laughs> you know. They were given reels of the show. They were given stills. They were given – and I think what they did is they made aesthetic decisions to make these things pop off the shelves. Okay. You know, um, I do kind of think that Vinny Baera, who was a huge Star Trek fan, uh, he he may have had some input on the second series because he knew his Star Trek pretty good. Yeah, because some of them are superb – yeah, and then some of them are not. I mean, yeah. my, the Gorn, my beloved Gorn doll, is the lizard dressed as a Klingon. Yeah, that that one I can never find an excuse for. <laughs> other than they also said some of the stuff was just done in in Hong Kong as well. Okay, so you know, it, it's yeah, it's it's that's a weird one. You'd never get away with that now. I mean, the Neptunian doesn't even exist on Star Trek. Um, I love them. I absolutely love them because they're toys, and I. I I'm I'm one of these people that like I look at a hot toy and I say that's okay you know I get it but it's not for me because I kind of like a clunky you know kid like adaptation of something I I you know I, there's nothing there's nothing that I love the Mego Iron Man and you know the Mego Human Torch with his pajamas and <laughs> right right none none of these things bother me because I don't need an exact replica I. I like toys, you know, right. and, and, um, so, you know, it, it's just one of those things where I, th- I think they're great. Uh, you'll never quite get the explanation that will satisfy you. I think other than, you know, Neil Cublin saying, Hey, these, you know, did you see those shows? They're a bit silly, you know? <laughs> so, so there wasn't a ton of reverence. To a, a white ape in a clown costume is going to pop more than just a white ape. Basically. I think so. Okay. I think so. Or they just had a picture of his head. <laughs> you know, um, you know, maybe there was a Planet of the Apes synergy they were trying to go for. Yeah, that's yeah, was, yeah. Um, is there still th- after the years now, or decades of, of of a bunch of really diehard collectors? Uh, I mean, this this Mego thing is big enough that every year you guys have a Mego convention. For God's yep. sakes, um, is there still more to learn? Is there still things that are being discovered, or is it has the uh, number of surprises sort of dribbled away as as you know the years have gone by? Well, it definitely isn't the early like the early two thousands. We'd have people say, "Hey, have you ever seen this doll?" And it'd be like Jet Jungle, which was a South African superhero. Um, I, there's still things I'm looking for, mm-hmm. but I, you know, and there's variations that still pop up. Uh, the other day, uh, a good friend of mine who uh, he cleaned out Amigo Warehouse in in Toronto, he sent me a picture of Amigo figure, and I'm going to keep the suspense going until we he finally reveals it with us. <laughs> But it was a handmade prototype of one of the Batman villains. Ooh. And it's completely different. The box is all wrong. And he's like, I found this in a box. And it's just like, wow, I can't believe that, you know, it's it's 41 years later and we're still finding stuff. Jeez. Yeah. So, and I'm still waiting for him to get his 
button gear and send me photos of that. But <laughs> you know, because I just got a crappy cell phone pick. But you know, it, yeah, there's still stuff coming out there, and it and that's that is so fun. You know. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned about you know you want toys to be toys, and that uh, I mean I worked in licensing for a brief while. I worked at a graphic design firm, and we had a bunch of clients that were like Marvel and 20th Century Fox and. Uh, MTV, and so we would get, and we made um, trading cards, and we made T-shirts, and we got these big, thick binders yeah. of the stock art. You know, the the the, the style uh, guides. Style guides. I blanked on what the phrase was. Yeah, we got all these style guides. You know, which were clearly the acceptable poses to use. And while you can say, on the one hand, it's sort of like I've, I've mentioned this on the show previously, but it, to me, it's it's a similar feeling of like. I would never give up buying comics at a comic store because you get what you know you're going to get what you want. Yeah. At the same time, you lose the mystery of not knowing what you're going to get. Uh, you know, there is no mystery at a comic store pretty much anymore because pretty much anything is available to you. Well, yeah, I, I often walk into comic stores and go, "Oh, the Diamond catalog." Yeah. <laughs> because it's you know, there's no vintage, there's no, you know, it doesn't it doesn't have a dark corner. You know, there's yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. The yeah. mystery slots. And and that really, if you look at early 70s merchandising, like uh, Mego and Azrak Hamway are, are the two biggest examples. It's the Wild West. Every single <laughs> every single Azrak Hamway Batman toy has a different drawing, possibly by a different person of, you know, Batman and Robin. I'm, I'm looking at something right now, and it's the parachuting superheroes. And Batman, Robin, and Penguin—none of them. Like one looks like a Bob Kane or a, you know a Bill Finger. The other is a Carmen Infantino, and then the other one looks who the hell knows. And by the end of the seventies, all the HI packaging starts to have this kind of like you know the same picture of Batman, and then a black card. So you're seeing the beginnings of style guides. Yeah. And and this kind of neutrality to it, and you know, to me, like th- that kind of signals an end of an era, an end of a charm to things, you know. It, it, you know, and nowadays, I mean, I worked on a Justice League uh, product, I think, in two thousand and two or two thousand and three, and yeah, the style guides were so limiting that I actually had to beg Warner Brothers to do something different. Wow. You know, because it was all gray, and they allowed me to take the sun out of the the big JLU poster, mm-hmm. and then use it as my backdrop for the packaging. And then I linger, I you know, I scattered characters around it. And within a year later, I'm walking down Toys R Us with my son, and the Mattel Justice League figures all have that sun. Ah, and I'm like, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it, it. Yeah, I mean it's that I, I miss that idea that you can get a bunch of wacky things. I mean, I have a bunch of Aquaman stuff, and you know all the stuff from the '60s through the mid '70s. It all looks very different. All the oranges are different, and like I said, I, I appreciate the fact that so much of the stuff now is so beautiful looking. The packaging is great, but you know, every if everything is perfect all the time, it does lose a bit of its charm. You know, so one, I, of, one of the most beautiful things I think I have in my collection is the comic action heroes board game, which is from the UK. I never and, even heard of that. Yeah. It's, it's from Denny Fisher who distributed the toys and they just made this terrible board game. They don't know how to draw captain Marvel. 
So there's this like Superman, Batman, and Robin, and most of them are are terrible swipes. You know, the Joker has flesh face on the box. <laughs> oh, that's creepy. But the Captain Marvel guy is this just this weird redheaded guy in a you know red trunks with a lightning bolt. Like I think it's like the Flash's lightning bolt, and they call him Shazam. And even on the playing piece, he's just got a little lightning bolt over his heart. And, like, he's got yellow trunks. And, you know, it's just like like they must have taken the comic action figure and gone, I think he looks like this, you know. And he's got gloves. And it's just, you know, this is this is officially licensed DC Comics product. Yeah. Oh man! Oh, I, I got to see that. That sounds yeah. awesome. I'll send you a photo. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I will for for let you go and for let you plug your your awesome podcast, which is part of the reason I wanted to have you on. Is uh, one other thing I wanted to ask you is if maybe you can't answer this. Maybe you have too many to pick from. But if there was one character, not a, not just a superhero, one character that you love that you would have wished Mego had done. Uh, do you have one? Do you have one that you're like, I wish they'd I, done X. Yeah, I, I wish they'd done ten different things, uh, <laughs> you know, because I would have just loved to have had Amigo, you know, Arc Two set or. A, but I, I think the one thing I'd really have loved is they they had the license to Thundar the Barbarian, okay, and they were going to make three and three quarter inch Star Wars type figures of Thundar, and I would have loved for them to have done that in the eighties, because I would have killed to have those as a kid. I loved that show. Hmm. And, you know, it's Jack Kirby right, and right, Steve right. Gerber. And, and um, yeah, I think I wish they had a, I wish they had a done that, hmm. I guess, is my thing. That is not the answer. I, I, I don't know what answer I was expecting. It was not that, though. That's very yeah. interesting. Um, awesome. Well, I said, Brian, man, thanks for I, – jeez, I, I said I could talk to Migo all night. I absolutely yeah. could because I said I grew up with them. I always had them, and uh, they there's so many pictures we have in my Christmas album – of our, my family's photo album of me opening Migos for Christmas. I mean they were just – that was just – you know the currency of my childhood with those of those things. So that's a neat way of saying it. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Well, I said, um, and I I want you to plug your show because I love Brian and his uh, co-host um, Jason. Jason, I'm sorry, have a podcast called Pod Stallions. Tell everybody about it because everybody should listen to it. Um, yeah, I guess the the best way to describe it is basically it's just a car ride between the two of us. Jason and I both kind of have. Um, one of those, those those kind of creepy memories that we remember stuff we shouldn't, but you know I can't figure out where my bank card is currently. Uh, and and the subjects we touch upon are usually from the seventies and eighties. You know we, we'll do um, toys, collecting toys, um, science fiction. I think the next one we're actually going to do is on seventies and eighties detective shows. Cool. You just did the you apocalypse know? episode, all apocalypse movies episode, and the apocalypse movies, um, and we just kind of riff. We don't have a real structure to it. It is basically the phone conversations I've been having with this guy for seven years. Yeah, it's and, a- and we just decided to tape them. It's great. It's a really fun show. I said if you're someone who likes 
just the idea of like toy collecting and then beyond that just of stuff from that era it is a great show and it's only it comes out once a month i could listen to it every week i wish you guys would put out more than than one a month but i'll take what i i, I, I need to find a uh, way of supporting the fan like i just can't pull it off right um, right right and, and jason's a busy guy too so right. i mean he's got another show and, and all kinds of, you know he runs a toy company right so. right oh yeah so, he's a mover and a shaker I guess. yeah well i said everybody it's a great show it's called pod stallion you can find it on itunes it's it's a great show and uh everybody go check out the Mugu museum and check out brian's blog plaid stallions which is everyone's heard of that that's a huge you know i don't even need to plug that so much because oh no it still needs plugging oh, okay plaid <laughs> fine fair enough plaid stallions dot or just plaid stallions.com yeah you can just go to plaid stallions.com perfect so anyway uh brian man thanks for doing the show i really hey, really appreciate it and uh in Migo we go Hey guys, it's Rob again. I really hope you enjoyed this Migo-centric episode of the show. If you would like us to do it again sometime, let us know. You can leave comments at aquamanshrine.net, firestormfan.com, or via email, firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. We'll have some Migo-related pictures up on the Tumblr, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. If you collected Migos like I did as a kid... Let us know. I would like to know what some of your favorite Migos were. Maybe you have pictures like I do playing with them and stuff. Uh, they were they were really some, some great, great toys. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Shaq will be back next week. Until then, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll Torch their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm Super friends forever Yeah! new game from Mego.